Thanks for joining us at our online campus today for another message from the series, What Do I Believe? As we're looking at a lot of the things that culture brings up questions into many lives of, of current issues that happen in our society today and what the Bible says about those issues. And if God has been speaking to you through this series, we encourage you to send us an email so we can hear a testimony of what God is doing in your life at connect.etag.tv. Or if you want to help support this ministry so people around the world can hear messages just like this, you can do so by going to etag.tv and clicking on the Give link there to help support this ministry. Now prepare your heart and get ready to hear another incredible message from the series, What Do I Believe? Heavenly Father, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for the Holy Ghost. We thank you that the Holy Ghost is our spiritual alarm system. And I pray that tonight, Holy Ghost, you have your way. I pray that you speak clearly in this house to our lives. Illuminate to us with the light of Jesus whatever needs to leave out of our lives. Jesus, whatever displeases you, whatever causes you right now to look over the balconies of heaven. And Lord Jesus, to look at our life with shame. God, I pray in Jesus' name, expose in us. In Jesus, your wonderful name, what needs to change? Amen and amen. I want you to remain standing. And I want us to open up the Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13. But before we do, I want you just to look at something. Because what I hear often, many times through people, and, and, and among a generation that is looking a lot of times for an easy way out. want to talk about that there is scripture, and in the scripture that there are gray areas, or there are things the Bible does not talk about which makes the Word of God sometimes gray. And if you look at the Word of God, and if you would go to the next slide, I want you to look at it just from a distance, because many times people stand and look at the Scriptures from afar. They paraphrase the Word of God. They go find a, a, a Scripture or a Bible that the, the whatever, type of, um, uh, whatever type of Bible it is, whatever type of interpretation it is, uh, they want to read. If it's not what they want to hear in the King James, they'll switch over to the message. If it's not what they want to hear in the message, they'll go find some type of Bible that will speak to their life. But you know, there's a lot of paraphrasing. There's a lot of scriptures we hear quoted. When you look at the Bible from a distance, it does appear gray. But if you zoom in and you go to the scripture and you actually look at it where it's supposed to be, it appears black and white. The Word of God can appear gray if you're not in it. The word of, word of God can appear gray if you're not right up and letting the Word of God get inside of you. So I want you to look at a word that's underlined tonight, and I want you to read this with me and follow along. And it says in Matthew 7, 13, Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there which go thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You may be seated. You know, gray areas have been shaded in between the church and the world. But I want tonight to bring to your attention because I want to draw a very hard, fast line on where the gray areas are formed, why they are formed, and, and, and to bring a little bit of order to some chaos because a lot of times we think the world has brought compromise into the church. The world has painted a gray picture, but I want to just declare to you tonight, it's the church that's painting the gray picture. The world is very bold in what it stands for. The world is not gray at all. It's the sheep that are watching the goat live its life. The sheep is looking at the parties, watching the entertainment. 
The sheeps are watching all of the porn on TV, the different types of music, the alcoholic beverages, the cursing, the filthy mouths. The sheep watch the goat and they wonder how close they can walk to the end of their pasture and just maybe be a little bit like a goat. But still maybe, maybe enter heaven by the skin of their teeth. And I'm going to just show you, I believe, in a few minutes through Scripture that there is no getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth. Can you say amen? amen. Sheep know the excess is not okay, but by painting a shade of white that is in moderation may be acceptable for the Lord. But I want you to hear this tonight. People in the church world might say the word has gray areas, but it's because they're looking at it from the wrong angle. They're looking at it from a distance, as I said before. They're looking at it in a way where they feel like the straight can possibly entertain some gray areas. How many know the straight and the narrow is completely white? There's no gray in the straight and the narrow, which is completely white. I don't believe that the straight and narrow has any gray areas whatsoever. I believe the gray areas are found in the broad road. And I want you to look with me just for a moment at this graphic, and I want you to see this white, straight, and narrow road. Everything around it is gray, and obviously the straight and the narrow road is white. And I want you to go to the next graphic. And I want to just show you for a moment this road going, and all the white obviously is the straight and the narrow. And many times you read the scripture and people think that there's a fork in the road. You've reached an intersection in the road, and there's the straight and the narrow, and then there's the broad road. But you have to understand tonight, there is the straight and the narrow, and that is the only way to Jesus. Everything else is the broad. It doesn't matter what shade of gray it is. It don't matter how little the compromise. It don't matter if it's 99.9% .9 the truth, it's still compromise. The road on the straight and the narrow is white with zero shades of gray. And I want to challenge you tonight. Do not run away from conviction. Embrace it. Don't run away from the Holy Ghost, the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Embrace it. It is the spiritual alarm system of our life. The Holy Spirit is the navigational system that tells us we're going the wrong way. I have a GPS just like most of you in this room. And I hate when I'm going the right direction and the navigational unit is telling me, make a U-turn. Sometimes I feel like my GPS makes up things. You're going the wrong way. Hey, listen to me, bonehead. You're going the wrong way. To a U-turn. But you know the Holy Spirit never messes up. When the Holy Spirit says do a U-turn, it's because there's purpose. When the Holy Spirit says turn around, you're going the wrong way, probably because you're getting off the road of the straight and the narrow into the broad, which is all everything else but the white. Can you say amen tonight? In the word of God, the gray, the gray is a lighter shade. And I, I believe this is something that you need to write down or put in your phone. Because this is the confusion I believe oftentimes that we think the church is being compromised by the world. Gray is a lighter shade of black, not a darker shade of white. I'm going to say that again. Gray is a lighter shade of black, not a darker shade of white. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what the word of God, what it teaches me is that the word of God is precise. The word doesn't leave any gray areas. The word doesn't leave any room for error. The word is so precise, it teaches us and tells us exactly how to stay on the road and how to stay away from the broad. There are a few things in the life of the gray that I'm going to discuss tonight. Just a few that are many. And you could preach a whole series for many weeks on all of the gray areas of our culture. 
Again, I'm not saying the gray areas of the believer because I don't believe that believers should have gray areas. The first one is music. Music is a huge gray area among church people. I said a few weeks ago from this pulpit that you watch people walk, walk through very turbulent times through their life and whether it's death of a loved one or it's a drug addiction situation where you're trying to pray someone through or maybe it's a job situation and, and you go through tragedy or you go through a trial in life and the first thing that comes to our lips is the lyric to a song that does not glorify God or maybe a line from a movie. I don't know about you, but when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want Jesus and his word coming out of my mouth. I want to quote scripture. But if we don't hide the word in our heart so that we don't sin against him, if we don't read the word, there's no hiding the word in you. And what goes in you is going to come out of you. So if you listen to perverse things, if you listen to curse words, if you listen to the negativity of the world, negativity is going to come out of you when you go through trials. When pressure comes on your shoulders and pressure comes on our lives, when the pressure squeezes, whatever's in us is going to come out. Now tonight I'm going to show you something that hopefully sheds a little light because oftentimes people will debate and they'll discuss secular music as if it's actually a debate. Now, I don't believe that all sacred music is straight from the pit of hell, but I will tell you that most of it is. And this one particular individual that I'm going to play a video from, and I'm going to have to tell you this, because of this individual and what she wears and the things that she does on stage, I had to black out most of this video. We had to video, through video technology, had to black out most of this video where you'll see just the interview and hear her words through this. So when you watch the screen go black, it's not an error in the movie or in the video. It's because we had to because of what she's wearing. She's very immodest. But I am playing this because there are people in this room that may listen to this. Your, your station may be tuned in on the radio, and you may not turn the radio when you should turn the radio. And you say, well, I don't like to listen to that music. I'm not a fan of this individual. But when that music comes on, you don't turn it off, and maybe your kids are in the car. Your grandkids are in the car. And maybe even what she is singing may not be uh, perverse. Maybe, it not, maybe it's not about drugs, sex, and money. But you know this is what she stands for. She has made a pledge of her life and she has actually spoken out and said that she believes that her life is a channel of spirits that are contrary to the word of God, demonic spirits. She puts herself in a state where she believes something possesses her to write her music. This artist is Beyonce. And I want you to listen for yourself and I want you to listen to her own words because we're not just going to quote it tonight. I don't want to just read from it. I want you to hear out of her own mouth because you don't talk about gray areas. These are places that people get off the straight and the narrow and they allow this to get into their spirit. I want you to hear out of her own mouth what she says possesses her when she performs music. If y'all want to play the video. The video's not working. Well, I'll tell you what she says. Beyonce make a, makes a statement in this video as she holds her hands up. She played in the BET Awards, and it was her very first concert. And she said, and I'm going to tell you, I watched the video of this girl when she was young, and she said, thank you, God, for giving me this talent. Thank you, Jesus, for investing in my life. This is why I believe in raising up teenagers for the next generation so that they're on the stage and they're singing Jesus and they're singing about Jesus and they're singing words that are inspiring words that are straight from the word of God and we train and raise them up that they will not depart from that way Beyonce was singing in youth choirs when she was a teenager she was on stages just like this but somebody allowed her to walk into the grave and did not point her in the right direction and because of that 
She said her very first concert, she lifted up her hands and she said a spirit named Sachelle came into her body and possessed her. And she said, when that spirit possessed me, she said, I was able to hit notes I was never able to hit before. I was able to dance in certain ways I could never dance before. She said, when that spirit engulfed my body, I've never been the same. And she lays claim to this and she's excited that something other than Jesus and the Holy Ghost has possessed her being. Tonight I'm going to tell you this. You better be real careful. Ephesians chapter 4 and 29 says this. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impact or impart grace to the hearers. If that's what we should be speaking out of our mouth, if that's what should be coming out of our tongue and out of our lips, then why should we ever allow that stuff to go into our ears? If the Word of God tells us that what should proceed out of our mouth it should be holy and set apart, then we should have never allow that stuff to fall on our ears. And what comes out of your mouth is affected by what goes into your ears. You listen to the Scriptures. You read the Word. You listen to God-glorifying music. That's what comes out of you in those moments. Number two, social drinking. This is a huge gray area on the broad road. I am someone that I've been called an extreme, I've been called legalist, I've been called many things. And you look at a youth pastor and people think, oh, maybe they're hip and they're with the culture and they know what's going on and, and they realize what time it is and it's not that bad to sip a drink every now and then or go socialize with some friends. Well, you can call me an extremist, you can call me a traditionalist, you can call me legalistic, you can call me whatever you want. I like to refer to it as holy. I like to refer to it as being set apart, being in the world, but not of the world. I don't believe that any alcoholic beverage should ever touch your lips. There's a lot of reason and proof for that, and I don't have time to preach an entire message on social drinking, but I will tell you this, I have done two parts in our youth services, in Sunday school, the youth, the adults, the college age, and every area because I take a stand against social drinking. I have watched alcohol be a poison to my family. My dad was an alcoholic. I watched and witnessed my dad act in certain behaviors under the influence of alcohol that caused me when I got saved to run as far away from it as I possibly can. I don't want anything the goat world has to do when it comes to alcohol. People say, well, the word of God doesn't say anything about alcohol. Jesus turned the water into wine. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. I always love what pastor says anyway. He said this for years. Anything that Jesus turned into wine, then you can drink it. But I'm actually going to theologically get into this in just a second and break down this in just a moment. But I want to just sh share with you a couple things about social drinking. First of all, Scripture mentions drinking alcohol, liquor, strong drink, wine, 627 times in the Word of God. How many of you think the Scriptures have an opinion on drinking alcohol? 627 times is more than love, more than faith, and more than hope. I believe that God has an opinion on drinking alcohol. 627 verses in the Word of God and 624 of those verses warn to stay away, don't go near it, stay as far away from it as you can possibly, possibly get, don't allow it to come into your life. The Word of God warns that 624 times. What's crazy to me is people in the church want to allow three verses that they, they don't really understand, maybe haven't broken down and going to look at the nine different Greek and Hebrew words that actually break down the word wine in our English diction. But they want to say that three words or three scriptures will define the 627 versus the 624 defining the 627. 
I'm a sports guy, and I'm, I'm, if I'm drafting a baseball team, I'm going to want the kid that bats 624 for 627, not the kid who bats 3 for 627. How many know that's not a good batting average? Well, if that's not a good enough batting average, it's not going to be the percentages that I apply to my life to justify social drinking. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 30 through 35, and there are many verses. But I believe that there are wise, there's wise counsel given by those who watch the effects and the devastation of alcohol. Solomon, David, others. Those who linger long at the wine, this is in verse 30 through 35. Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like the one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Sadly, there are people, especially the younger generation, that are watching parents sit around at the local restaurants and have one glass of wine. It's not ever going to hurt you. Watching people at Christmas parties have a beer, which I always find very interesting that people justify social drinking when it, along the lines of beer and liquor when if you're ever going to justify it, at least use the word wine. Beer and liquor is not made from grapes. But that's the choice drink when they say, oh, but Paul told Timothy to have a little wine. It's good for the stomach. Well, I'm going to show you in just a moment in, in the translation out of John chapter 2 if we have this. Do we have the other video, Derek? Is it ready? No videos. If you would look at John chapter 2 with me, and, I, and you can turn with this in, in the scriptures if, if you would like. But this is a, a Greek lexicon, and I, and I brought this open so I could show you because I want to just show you clearly from the word of God where social drinking, I believe, is completely uh, not an issue. It's not even debatable in the word of God. This is when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. This word wine used here in the Greek lexicon, and I have it actually pulled out made big for you. The word is oinos, oinos. From the wine press is what this word means. That means straight from the wine press. Grapes went into the wine press. They pressed the wine or pressed the grapes and the juice comes out of it straight from the wine press is what that word actually means. And when it comes straight from the wine press, I don't believe that that would be fermented. And just to go back to the story that you can read, I don't have time to get into tonight. But if you remember, Mary came to Jesus and she said, they ran out of wine. I don't see my savior as a bartender that would watch all of the people have had an excess amount of wine so then they've ran out so he's going to make sure that they go over the top. I don't know about you but I don't believe Jesus is a bartender. Amen. I'll just stop right there. I just want to show you if wine in the Greek and the Hebrew and there's many verses I could go through as I said before but I just want to show you just in the English language this is outside of the word of God. Webster's Dictionary in 1828, I want you to look. This is the definition of the word wine just in the 1800s. The juice of certain fruits prepared. That's the definition of the word wine in the English language. A fruit, a juice of certain fruits prepared. Now, less than 100 years later in 1913, 
The express juice of grapes, especially when fermented. A beverage of, or liquor prepared from grapes by squeezing out their juice and usually allowing it to ferment. In less than 100 years, the word wine changed in Webster's Dictionary. Can you imagine how much it's changed in 2,000 years in people's interpretation of Scripture? See, the word can look gray from a distance, but the sharper than any two-edged sword when you get up on it, there's no gray areas. It's black and white, and it speaks straight to the heart. Wine, strong drink, and liquor, in my opinion, is a poison. It's not just a sin, it's a poison. I've watched it devastate families. I've watched it devastate Christians. I've watched it devastate preachers. I've watched it devastate many homes. And I will preach with a lot of passion. And I will study it out, and I will keep studying it out. Because I've watched my generation. And I know if generations before me struggled and had something in them that was drawn to alcohol, then I'm going to make sure I run far away as I can. Because I know the generations beyond me. I'm going to stop the curse of alcohol in my family. Scripturally, not only does it not make sense scripturally, it doesn't make sense from a lot of other areas. Society sense, the crimes that are associated with alcohol, the addictions that it forms. It's a killer. Over 6,000 people died in vehicle homicides last year because of alcohol. It doesn't make sense when it's common sense. The stumble factor that Paul goes into in Romans and Corinthians when he's saying, it may seem to you it's beneficial, but it's not profitable. People around you are watching what you're doing. So you may not agree with us scripturally, but I'm going to tell you, not causing someone to stumble better be the priority of your life. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place, but I believe that heaven's going to be a whole lot greater when you take somebody with you. Hell's going to be a horrible place, but hell's going to be a much worse place for those people that not only go to hell, but they take somebody with them. Be careful that in your stumbling, people are not going to hell and getting off the straight and the narrow onto the broad because of our examples. Can you say amen? amen? Not only is it a stumble factor, but it's the lying factor. I posed this to youth pastors a while back in a conference when I was sharing with them about our generation and so many pastors and younger pastors are allowing this to be a part of their doctrine and what they believe that social drinking is acceptable in our culture. And I told them that you're going, to be in a, you're going to be in a very sticky situation because you say, it's okay if I go on a cruise with my wife and I've had youth pastors say this to me from other denominations, say to me, it's okay if you go and drink wine on a cruise. No one knows that you're there. You go on a vacation. No one knows that you're drinking. Just my wife and I. I said, but what about the kid that you meet at the altar? That you're pre preaching about deliverance and you clutch this kid's hands and you say, my God's a deliverer. My God can set you free. My God can take away all your sins and addictions and he can break the chains off your life. And that kid looks at you and says, oh yeah, do you really know? When's the last time you had alcohol? You're in a position. Do you lie to him and say, I haven't had alcohol since I've gotten saved? Or do you say, I just had it last week and cause him to stumble? It doesn't make sense from a common sense standpoint. You cannot logically make sense of drinking alcohol and be in any place where people would look up to us. Can you say amen? amen? I know this is tough. But I believe that our culture needs to hear that there should be no compromise in our lives. I pose one final thought to you tonight about social drinking. There are churches all around us in America that believe that social drinking is, 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 is acceptable. And they believe that it's acceptable at every level. The pastors, the deacons, they believe it's acceptable in the youth ministry. And you know what, what breaks my heart is, is watching 
the ministries that have people flooding the churches off the streets. And this actually happened within our ministry a few years ago. A lady came into Evangel Temple and she said, Pastor Chris, she said, I'm so thankful for a church who does not believe in compromise. And I asked her to tell me her story and she said that when she went into a church up the road away, she said, I walked into a fellowship and at the fellowship when I sat down and this woman was delivered from alcohol, she was delivered from drugs, delivered from a crazy past. And she said, I walked into the very first social event of this church. And she said they had wine glasses at the table and they began to come around and pour wine in each of our glasses. And she said, as I began to smell that alcohol, she said, all those addictions and all those thoughts began to come back. And she said, I had to get up and run out the door before I allowed that to be a viper and to sting me again. I don't understand how ministries and churches, and I'm going to tell you Evangel Temple and any of those that are watching on live stream and any of those that will ever hear this again, that if you ever go to a church where the pastor drinks alcohol or his staff drinks alcohol, I don't know how you can have an effective ministry of deliverance. If somebody walks to the altars to get saved... And then you pray for them that God will break the bondages of alcoholism and that God set them free from the beating and the abusing of their wife and their children. That God set them free from going to happy hour after work when they need something to take the edge off. When you pray that God set them free and they go to a men's event the next week and you're serving wine. How can you ever have deliverance in your church? You're introducing them back into their addiction. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It doesn't line up with the society, it doesn't line up with the word of God, and it doesn't line up logically. Run away from the gray areas of alcoholism, entertainment choices. The Bible says, let no obscene thing come out of our mouth, and allowing this to be maintained in the things that we watch is just as bad. I read to you in Ephesians chapter 4, how in the world could we ever... Allow those things and, and, and speak and teach our children. And we, we proclaim that we'll never allow those things to come out of our mouth. But we watch those things on television. We watch those things in TV shows. If scripture teaches these things should not land on our ears and not go into our heart. I hope and pray that we all abide by that. Because the people that are watching what we watch, the people are watching how we act, the people are watching in the Christian world, we are supposed to be set apart. And when we walk in, and, or I say we, <laughs> but when you or anyone else walks into some of those DVD stores or walks into a movie theater and watches a rated R movie or watches and rents and takes in your home, people watch you and say, why would I ever want to be like them? They have the same junk in their life as I do in mine. What kind of example are we? Scary movies that people watch, Christians that compromise in the realms of horror films. Just a few that I read that glorify demons, glorify Satan, possession of Satan, possession by demons, little children murdering other children, little children being murdered. I don't call that entertainment, but Hollywood does. And people in the church world watch that trash. You can't walk into a place where someone's possessed by demons and pray that God set them free when you yourself was just watching a movie where people were possessed by demons. That demon might come off into you. I've been in some situations in the last few years where I've watched people that are possessed by demons. I've watched their eyes. I've told my wife and I've told others, it's amazing you see these people and see the eye and what it changes and how and the voice and the strength that comes over their life and, and the wisdom that comes, the, the, the wisdom of all of history that's protruding out of their mouth. You want to get right with God? You come watch one of those situations take place and I guarantee you won't ever watch a scary movie again. 
And I'm just preaching a real. When I walk through the hallways and someone's asking, did you watch The Conjuring? I am blown away. I asked my, how in the world, my wife and I said, how in the world can people allow that stuff to get in their ears, their eyes, and their souls? And you know people that have watched those movies. People being possessed by things. Stay away from the gray areas. I want holiness and I want the glory of God. And the glory of God inside of your temple is not going to stay when we're watching horror films like that. Be careful little ears what you hear and eyes what you watch. They are the gates to your soul. Psalms 101.3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not plead to me. Number four, sexuality. I know Pastor Jim Rayley touched on this last week, and he went into great detail, especially in the realm of homosexuality. But fornication is never okay. Sexting is never okay. I told a few parents or a group of parents that came together a few weeks ago in a parent conference that I did and told them to be careful about what your children are downloading on their phone. I have one messaging app on my phone, and I don't need any other messaging apps. Students or even husbands or wives or, or, or family members or kids in school are downloading other messaging apps so that they can hide and keep from others around them and not have any accountability. Maybe parents will look on the phone and look at their messaging app, but they don't notice the Snapchat app. They don't notice the Kick app on the phone that there's messages, and they don't know what it is, and they don't go in and they don't look at it. And I tell people all the time, I say this in counseling, and I live this in my own life, I don't believe in the word privacy at all. People say, kids, teenagers say, I need my privacy. I need my own room. I need my privacy. And privacy, privacy breeds secrecy and secrecy breeds sin. Privacy on your phone, not allowing your spouse to read their phone. Listen, I'm telling you tonight, you need to make sure that you're switching each other's phones. You have every password to every account that you have. Complete accountability. Have all your children's passwords. I'm not ever ashamed to let my kids have my phone. I preach this on Wednesday night. I am so thankful. If a teenager asks for my phone, I'll give my, they need to borrow my phone to call their mom after an event. They need to use my phone to text somebody. I'm not worried about people holding my phone. But you, you, it's sad sometimes that you say, my phone just died. Can, can I borrow your phone? Um, I need to run away for just a second. Y'all know what I'm talking about? People are private with their phone. And listen, I, there's obviously a certain amount of privacy and confidentiality, but there's a difference of confidentiality and privacy that breeds secrecy. Privacy in the bathroom is one thing. You can ask my kids, I tell them that. I own your room, I own the phone, I own the TV. There's nothing private going to go onto my kids' phones. And I'm telling you, parents, you better watch out because the enemy, and it's not about trust. It's not about not having trust for somebody. I don't trust the devil. I'm not going to give the devil an inroad. And you've got to be careful to not allow the enemy to have an inroad into a phone, into a TV, into a computer, at work. Compromising conversations with sexuality. Sexting is never okay. Homosexuality is not just living in sin. Homosexuality is also the opinion people have of that lifestyle. Because see what's, well we've got to be careful in the church and all of those that are watching tonight is that we all may say personally we believe homosexuality is a sin but it's okay if our, someone in our family or it's okay if someone that we're a friend with is in that lifestyle because I understand their situation. Either you take a stand or you don't take a stand. 
You're moving off the straight and the narrow into the gray areas on the broad road. The straight and the narrow says that homosexual will not allow you to inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you, I love, I love, and I don't call homosexuals homosexuals like most people do. I say there's an individual struggle with homosexuality because it's not inborn in them. It's not who they are. As Jim Rayleigh said last week, it's what they're doing. It doesn't make it, it's not in their DNA. It's not in a chromosome. It's not a chromosome missing. It's a lifestyle they've chosen or a cloud that parents have allowed to rest over their lives growing up. We have to be careful we expose our children to. Again, going back to the entertainment and the music, we might wonder why a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old struggling with a certain lifestyle, be careful what you allow their ears to hear at six years old. What a demon you allow to come out of the television into their spirit. Can you say amen? Unfortunately, it's not the world painting the gray areas. As I said before, it's the church. The world simply paints the black canvas on issues and not to pick on the lifestyle of homosexuality. But just because this is an issue in our culture, and this is a gray area with many people around the church. is when you watch those that are picketing and those that are, are taking a stand for homosexuality and those that are posting all over social media about homosexuality, do you ever see them say about the church, well, we don't want to offend the church because of what the Word of God says. We don't want to offend the Word of God. There's no gray area in their stance. It's either all the way or not. So the church, we can't say, yeah, I don't personally believe that it's, I personally believe that's wrong, but, you know, if it's somebody else, it's okay. That's not the word of God. We have to make sure that we take a stance. Galatians 5.11 says, and I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross seized. Paul is saying, if I was still pre preaching circumcision in the Jewish law, there would be no persecution. But hey, listen to me. The cross is offensive. The cross is offensive. I'm, not, I'm all about grace and love. I, as a matter of fact, I'm probably one of the most graceful people that I know. I will also gra offer grace and I will love people. I will forgive. I don't believe in harboring unforgiveness. I believe in forgiving and moving on. I believe in forgiving 70 times 7. I believe in the word of God. But I don't believe the church should compromise on our beliefs against sin. Sometimes I just sit back in prayer and I weep before God. What are we doing? What are we allowing to come into the church? What are we allowing to come into our homes? Sometimes I know that if it breaks the heart of God, it's got to break the heart of the people. We got to labor in prayer. God, we can't allow these things to come in and compromise in these gray areas. Revelations 3.15 says, I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would not, if, if thou wert cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. There's no gray area with God. The worship team would come. There's no gray area when you stand before God. He says either hot or cold. Listen, a glass of water left in a room temperature doesn't naturally get warmer. But boiling hot glass of water left in a room, a room temperature will gradually get colder. You're not just going to gradually get hot on your own. But something boiling hot, boiling hot, if you allow it to be complacent, if you allow it just to sit, it can eventually grow colder. You have to keep stoking the fire of your life. Allowing Jesus to fan the flames of your heart and your mind. Not ever get to a place at any age of your life where you ever allow the enemy to come in and convince you that you don't have to have altar moments. Ever convince you that you don't have to have worship moments. I was reading somebody the other day, a scripture, a verse encouraging him. And it just leapt off of the pages at me when I was reading about David. And I went on to read about David and Bathsheba and thought to myself, 
The word of God noted that David was a man after God's own heart. And in his youthfulness, he was fighting lions and bears. He was killing giants. In David's youthfulness, he was dancing before the Lord, not caring who was watching him. But as he got older and got a little more complacent is when the enemy snuck in. We have to be careful as we get older to not give up and retire from outreaches. As we get older, to not retire from worship moments. Not retire from the choir. Not retire from the worship team. Not require, retire from Sunday school teaching. Not retire from getting in the altar in your face. We've all got to have moments where we get before God. And say, Jesus, cleanse me. Renew me. Remove any areas in my life that look anything like the world. Listen, I know that any, none of us in this room are perfect. But I just think every day, if it were my last day, I'm going to stand before God and I teach my kids when our family devotions, I tell them all, say, you know what, listen, we're all accountable before God. We all live our own life and I tell my children, you're not going to get to heaven on daddy's coattail. You're not going to get to heaven on the church's coattail. And I'm going to tell you tonight, we all got to have a place in our life, a secret place. We allow Jesus, the blood of the lamb, to come into our life and cleanse us and wash us and purify we got to have those moments where God strengthens us. we got to have those moments where God shows us the people that maybe we wronged. The sins we've committed that we didn't know we committed. we got to have those altar moments. As we get older, we can never allow the enemy to convince us that we've arrived. There's another generation that we've got to look back and grab them by the hand and walk them into the presence of God and show them we're not going to be a generation of compromise. Jesus is coming back soon. I believe that with all my heart. I don't want to live a life that Jesus is shameful of. What are the potential gray areas? I'm closing. What are the potential gray areas? Because I know that these are just a few of the many, many issues. I'll tell you what a gray area is, is anything that could potentially get you in bondage. A gray area is anything that could potentially grab your hands and your wrists and your feet and, and be a a vice that holds you down. In closing, there's 12 tribes in Israel. And these 12 tribes are incredible to read about. These 12 tribes had different functions and different assignments. The tribe of Judah, many people know, is probably the most famous tribe that would go in to the city or into the land or the war and that they would, they would blow the trumpets and the, their worship and their praise would go before the people. The other tribes would follow in succession. The last tribe to always come into a city or the last tribe that would always go into the battlefield was the tribe of Dan. In Genesis, you see that, Genesis, that, that Dan was the fifth child born of Jacob. Dan was someone who was set apart. Dan was set apart to be a judge. And as a matter of fact, Dan produced one of the great judges in Samson. But Dan, what happened is that was walking down the straight and the narrow and Dan watched the broad all around them, all the gray areas. They watched Judah. But how many of you know further from the front, all the way in the back, the worship, you can't hear it as good. As you're a little further from the presence of God, things can get a little muddy. They can get a little gray. Don't forsake the house of God and the assemblings of the saints. Don't come to church once every six weeks. You need the house of God in your life. Amen? You need the corporate worship. But Dan, as they faded off in the back, Dan's kind of settled off the straight and the narrow. 
And they got settled down and to a place where they begin to allow idol worship to come into their life. And in Amos, you can see that they built the golden calf. The tribe of Dan was what allowed the great idolatry in Israel. But what sticks out to me is when you look at Revelation and you look at the 12 tribes, the tribe of Dan didn't make the top 12 list. They were replaced by the tribe of Manasseh. And that's heartbreaking that the last, the last trusted tribe to come in and to finish up and to finish the race of the marathon of walking into the city and doing their job, they gave up, they settled down, and they compromised in the gray areas to the point of being replaced. I believe that the tribe of Dan is a picture of the last part of this whole puzzle, our generation. I believe that the, we are the last piece in the great puzzle of heaven. And I just preach to you tonight and declare to you tonight, I believe that God can raise up a remnant that says we're not going to settle down in our culture and the compromises of homosexuality and the compromises of, of drinking alcohol and the compromises of different drugs and entertainment. I believe that God can raise up a remnant that says we're not going to settle down in the gray areas and God's going to raise up a people who can stand for holiness and righteousness. Can you say amen? I want you to stand with me all over this place tonight. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to read to you a prophetic word by Paul to Timothy. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to listen to this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times... Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Tonight, don't be the person or the people that allow the gray areas, the doctrines of this world, the doctrines of demons to come into your soul gate and compromise who you are in Jesus. Paul said in the last days, people are going to fall away because they allow these things to seduce them. Tonight in this place, I know this is different. I know that this has come across and, and this is a message that's very tough to preach. But I believe the word of God takes a strong stance on gray areas that there are none. And tonight, if there's anything the Holy Spirit has spoke to you about, anything maybe we've talked about, or something in your life right now, the Holy Spirit is checking in your spirit that you need to get right, something inside of you that you need to lay on the altar, something in you that you say, Jesus, come into me and wash me tonight. I've got to get my life in the straight and the narrow. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. And tonight, some of you need to get back on the straight and the narrow. If that's you in this place and you need to get some gray areas in your life, right? On the count of three, I want you to move from where you are right now. I want you to make your way to this altar. One, two, three, in Jesus' name. Come on, begin to move. Jesus, I pray in this place right now that you begin to shine your light into the gray areas of this place. God, if anyone be among us, God, that is struggling or walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, and there's gray areas, God, that is coming against them mentally, spiritually, emotionally. God, I pray that you just begin, Lord, right now to expose those things. God, begin to bring light in Jesus' name. I pray in Jesus' name we begin to preach and speak and declare right now freedom. Freedom in Jesus' name. Come on, I want you just to begin to walk and lift your hands up in this place. Come on, if you're in your seats, stretch your hands out of those right now. Come on, let's go, Jennifer.
Come on, lift your hands up all over this place.
I want to pray over you tonight. I'm going to hand this back over to Pastor Gary. But what's been radiating in me for about a year, and I've said this many, many times over in prayer before the Lord, as I've been watching a generation and a culture call things acceptable in the eyes of God in the Christian church that are just not so. And I've watched a line be drawn, things that are approved in the Christian culture, and then I've seen on the other side the godly. And there are a lot of people under the Christian umbrella that are compromising. But you know, when someone gets sick, or someone needs a miracle, or someone's going through a tragedy, they run to the godly, not to the Christian. Because they know the godly has miracles in their hands. They know that the same resurrection power that was in Jesus is in them. The Bible says some demons cannot come out except for by prayer and fasting. I want to serve a Jesus, and I want to be on the side of the godly that believes in prayer, fasting, the blood of Jesus. I want to call sin, sin, wrong, wrong, right, right. I want to live in the light of Jesus shining on me every day. I don't want to allow secular music and the mess of the world to come into the church. I don't believe that we should ever allow the church to look like what that looks like outside. We should be able to take what happens in the church out into the streets and people get changed. Amen. And that's why I love this place because this is a church and this is a leadership team that believe in the godly. Don't forsake the godly. Heavenly Father, in this place, we are so thankful that you allow us to be a part of an end time movement that believes in the godly, that believes in a generation, Lord, that can be a remnant. Lord, and people being raised from the dead, people coming out of wheelchairs, people being healed of sickness, God, watching disease flee bodies. We believe, God, in these last days that we can see miracles, life change. God, we believe we can see the multitudes come to know you. And Lord, I don't want to see a compromised gospel, a watered down, or a lukewarm message. Jesus, I pray that you help us to run far away from the gray areas. And Jesus, stay on the straight and the narrow. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you as Pastor Gary comes. Let's thank Pastor Chris for the ministry of the Word tonight. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to do something in closing. I want you to pick up your belongings, and I want you to take a step towards the front. You may not all be able to get here, but come on. I want you to come to the front. We're going to have one final prayer for our nation because I want revival in America. This church wants revival. I want you to take a step towards the front right now, and we're going to pray for America in closing. Pick up your belongings and make your way to the front. We're going to call on God to visit this nation, to visit our schools, to visit our colleges, our workplaces. I want everybody to raise your hands all over this room right now. Come on. All over this room, I want you to raise your hands. And I want every believer, I want you to call on God for revival, for a national awakening. Amen. Let it begin in Jacksonville. Let it begin here at Evangel Temple. Come on. Everybody join us. Father, we seek you in this hour. For a mighty manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we do not want to be without the glory. We want the glory cloud to settle over this sanctuary, over this church, 
And then, oh God, for your glory to be manifest through this city. God, I pray that you will do a mighty work through Evangel Temple, through our church family here. Lord, we pray and we repent for the sins, oh God, uh, that have come into your church across America. And the way your uh, people have embraced the world and embraced darkness. And God, we call out upon you. We pray for a mighty Holy Ghost awakening. Father, breathe upon us the breath of God. Let the Spirit of God come and breathe upon us a fresh awakening. Hallelujah. Visit America this summer. Let this be the summer that changes this nation back towards God. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing it together in closing. Just slip your hands up. Everybody, slip your hands up. to join hands all across this sanctuary watching at home I want you to grab somebody's hand right now and I want you to pray one for another we're a part of the family of God the body of Christ and I'm telling you the Holy Ghost is gonna rest on this church in renewed fire and renewed anointing I want you to pray for the person on your right pray for the person on your left everybody come on let's join together in prayer hallelujah father we bless our brothers and sisters of like precious faith people that are joined together in the family of god thank you for what you're doing god thank you for the gentiles that are flowing to the light thank you god that you're drawing so many people from so many different walks of life and you're bringing them together as the remnant in this hour god to do something and to be something powerful as the light as the salt god to see our nation shaken for jesus Lord, thank you for the remnant that you're gathering and what you're doing in this hour. And we speak the blessings of heaven over one another in Jesus' name. Let us be blessed this week. 
to witness and to share our faith. 